There's this rule of three, where if something happens one time, it might have been an accident. If something happens twice, it may pique your curiosity. But if something happens three times, you better start paying attention. This is the third series that I didn't plan to do, that I didn't necessarily want to do, but I felt very clearly that God was inviting me into it. The first was the questioning series, where I felt like God was inviting me to create a space to process those hard questions around God, Christianity, and the church. The second was the healing series, which I was willing to do for one episode, but God invited me to do 50. And before I was even done with the healing series, I felt like God was inviting me to this season. Now I'll be honest with you, as much as I enjoyed the journey of the healing series, I was ready to take a much needed break from recording. But God had other plans. While I had hoped to get at least a few weeks off, God extended the invitation for the new season before the old season was even done. It came in the form of an email from my friend Lauren. Over the last few years, Lauren has been navigating some difficult things, and in the midst of that, she has been processing how to seek and understand God in the midst of suffering. And while I had turned down many potential guests in preparation for my planned break, I had a clear sense that this needed to be recorded. But you'll hear at the start of the conversation, I had no idea what I would end up doing with the conversation. And at about 15 or so minutes in, it became clear. God was inviting me to step into a season focused on suffering. And my mind immediately realized how dismal a season like that could be. But just as I couldn't see how a healing series could work, I'm aware that I can't see now what God can. In fact, there's something ironic and poetic about the fact that this season focused on sitting in suffering is going to invite listeners to sit in the suffering of others. But I really believe that God wants us to see something beyond the suffering, that God has something abundantly more in store for us. So I want to invite you to join me on this new journey, to stick with me through these hard conversations, knowing that God knows something we don't, and he has something for us that he knows we need. You're listening to episode 113 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this conversation that you've prompted within Lauren, that you've prompted her to reach out to me, that we are sitting here now and able to press into whatever it is you have in store. And I really do believe that you have something in store. And so we want to just give you this time, all of it, our words, our thoughts, every moment we want to give it to you, knowing that you can do abundantly more with it than we ever could. So we give it all to you with anticipation that we really believe you are going to work in this conversation and beyond. Let's pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. So Lauren, you know, I've had this to you a few times, but I am really excited about this conversation because I'm in an interesting place with the podcast because I just finished up a 50 episode season on healing. Yeah. And I was planning on, am I going to take a break now? Am I going to pause? What am I going to do? I was actually turning down some guests that were reaching out. Mm -hmm. But then I got your email and from go, I was like, this conversation is supposed to happen. But I don't know what is ahead for the podcast. So I don't know what God might be opening here Mm -hmm. and what he may be inviting me into in this and you into in this. So I'm really excited. And before we jump in, I always like to give guests an opportunity to share. What would you want people to know about you 
before we jump into this conversation? I feel like so much about me is going to be shared in this conversation, but just a starting point. My name is Lauren. I'm 31 years old. I live in the Richmond, Virginia area, and I'm a teacher. So I feel like those are some basic facts to kind of paint you a picture of who I am, and you will hear more as this conversation goes on. It's a good baseline. I like it. And I know bits of what you're going to share, but really it's this broad idea that you feel like God is inviting you to share of your story and particularly the hard elements of it. Yeah. And so I say, I just hand you the figurative mic and let you start rolling and we'll see where God takes the conversation. So Lauren, tell me a story. All right. Well, I feel like the last three years of my life have just been this crazy journey that I didn't think I was going to be on or like couldn't have imagined. The reason why I feel like it started three years ago is because it kind of got kickstarted when we had a coworker at the school that I was working with who passed away unexpectedly, who was young and had young kids. And she was a believer. A lot of people at our school and like from her church were praying for her. And I was just shocked that she didn't make it through this random illness that she was totally healthy beforehand. So that was kind of like what kickstarted this whole season for me of really having to process why does God answer some prayers for healing? Yes. And some no, some longings he answers and like responds to and gives us what we're longing for. Some things no, some people experience a miraculous intervention and some people don't. I never really had thought deeply about that before until that time. And then right around the same time, I developed a lot of pain in my left foot. And, you know, I was probably like 29 at the time. People have random things that go wrong with them. I was pretty active. I was like running, I was rock climbing, hiking, that kind of thing. So you have injuries and you go to the doctor and they fix it, or you have to be off your feet for six weeks or something, and then you're fine. This is not what happened to me. Mm Basically, doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. I was going to so many different doctors all across the area, podiatrists, orthopedic doctors, anyone who might be able to help me. Some doctors had guesses for what might be the problem, but I was getting different opinions from different doctors that I would see. That was the first year. was going to a lot of different doctors. And it was the first time I probably had faced a very long ongoing health problem. Mm-hmm. And again, I just had this idea of God that, well, I know that he loves me and I know that he's powerful. So I was like, okay, I can pray. And since he loves me and he's powerful, he will heal me. So, you know, a few months go by, no healing. I'm like, okay, well, some people give up, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to get down on my knees every morning and I'm going to pray. And I did. I got down on my knees at my bed every morning for months and prayed for healing. No healing. Hmm. And of course, elders at the church are praying for me. Like my family and friends are praying for me. No healing. So that's one year. At the end of the first year, the exact same pain happened in my right foot. Now I find myself with like two feet that barely work. (laughs) Doctors are still not quite sure what's going on. I am in pain all the time and can barely walk. It basically just like snowballs worse and worse. In the second year, I go to more doctors. I buy a ton of stuff, different kinds of shoes, different kinds of like braces, anything that might help. I went to all kinds of different therapies, uh, physical therapy, laser therapy, 
nothing is working. Still praying a lot about it, but feeling a little bit more confused. Like, why is God not answering this prayer and like letting me go through this time of deep suffering and I am not getting any better? I guess sometime in the second year, I met someone that I wanted to date. And that was also something that I had been praying about for a long time and also felt like wasn't getting answered Mm -hmm. or that the Lord was telling me to wait because I didn't date very much like throughout my 20s. So kind of like the tail end of my 20s going into 30. I'm like, finally, I found this great guy and he, you know, is there for me in this time that I like him having all these physical issues and can't walk. So at least the Lord is giving me this and I am so grateful and it's okay. It wasn't really okay. The physical pain, I was like, well, I will just accept this because I at least have this like other way that my life is moving forward in this relationship. Towards the end of the second year, things were getting very serious with this relationship to the point that both of us were very certain that we were going to get married, had told our families about this, we were planning this, and I felt that the Lord was telling me to walk away from the relationship. And that is something that I will not go into like too much detail with for respect for the other person's privacy, but it was horrible. (laughs) It was horrible. Mm. I really knew that that was what the Lord was telling me to do, but it felt like cutting off my own arm or something because this was like something that I felt like was making my life so much better. And it was like a dream that I had had that was like finally being realized even when these other things in my life were not so great. From my perspective, God takes that away from me. And so I'm like not able to walk. I'm in a ton of pain. That relationship is over. And that was, I guess, a very low time for me. I mean, I'm someone who grew up in a very strong Christian family, like going to church from the time that I was a little kid. I never doubted the existence of God. I certainly thought a lot about like, why did I believe what I believed? I wasn't just blindly following what my family had said, but I had had very strong, deep set belief in my Christian faith for my whole life up until that point. And at that point, I was like, why am I even doing this? If it seems like me following God is definitely not helping me at all, and if anything, it seems like it's maybe making my life harder because I felt like the Lord told me to walk away from this thing that I thought was going to be what was best for me. Why am I believing that this is what I want to spend my whole life following? Why am I believing that I want to be willing to like sacrifice everything for this faith? And what if it's not even true and it seems like God is not really helping me? So I had a very short time of questioning the existence of God, period, but that was very short-lived because I feel that God's presence was with me and I could feel that even in that time. But it was a much longer, probably still ongoing journey of, but do I trust God? And is Christianity even like the right thing? And if I still have those beliefs that he's powerful and that he's good and that he loves me, how is that true if he's allowing all these things to happen? You know, now I'm into the third year. I had double foot surgery. So I had one time surgery on both feet. Mm. And of course, my friends and family are like, this is the thing that's going to cure you. You're going to (laughs) be fixed after this. And I kind of knew like in my heart of hearts that that might not be the case because I just developed so many issues from the initial problems. It wasn't just like one problem. I kept having like multiple bones, having stress fractures and tendon problems and pinched nerves. Just every different way I would walk would like put relief on one thing and then like break something else. Mm. So I kind of had a hunch (laughs) that the surgery wasn't going to like immediately fix everything. 
but yeah, it really hasn't. I just still dealing with chronic pain and struggling to walk. There's been times during this where it was hard for me to drive. So there's that. Still single. So that relationship really ended. No new relationship has come (laughs) into the horizon. But I feel that over the course of the past year, my faith in God has gotten so much stronger. And I feel more sure than I ever was about God's existence and Jesus's goodness, because he's been with me through all all of these things. And he like stood to the test of all of my questioning. I think that I feel very compelled to want to talk to people more about this because I hear a lot of people say that pain and suffering in their life or unanswered prayers is one reason why they don't believe in God or they don't want to pursue knowing the Lord. And I just know how painful it is to feel like you've asked God for help and he isn't giving you the help that you're asking for. But I still know that he's there and that he does care about us. And so I just want to start, I guess, like have more conversations with people around that. And I think that I have more of a like ground to stand on in saying that because of the things that I have been going through. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. And it's a lot, right? (laughs) It's a lot to have experienced in such a short time. As you were sharing, it made me think of Job and how one by one things were taken from him, relationships, his wealth and well-being, and his own physical body was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And he has this desire to not disown God, but there's not much outside that. He's like, I don't know what to make of any of this right now. And that is such a heavy space to be in, which makes me even more grateful that you want to remain in that space in a way, remain in these memories and bring these things back up for the sake of others who are currently in the space where they don't yet know that God is with them, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to call it yet, but the sense I had when I read your email and the more that I thought about it, I feel like if this did turn into a season, it would be a season focused on sitting and suffering Mm -hmm. because that's one thing we don't want to do. That's one thing that we will avoid. And our Christian platitudes allow us to position ourselves in such a way like a lot of people who are well-meaning position themselves for you. Oh, this is going to be the thing. This is the relationship. This is the surgery. This is the thing that's going to get you out of this into where you're supposed to be. But it's very clear that where you thought you were supposed to be isn't where you were supposed to be. Where you were supposed to be was sitting in the suffering. Yeah, I think that is hitting the nail on the head and something that has helped me a lot because I think that obviously when we're going through suffering, it feels like something's wrong, something is wrong, but it's not outside of God's hands. I take great comfort in the belief that the Lord always knew that I was going to go through this period of time in my life and he had plans to use it for good. And I believe that like he's already doing that and Mm -hmm. will continue to do that. So for me, it's like this big shock. Like I was like, oh, I thought that I was just going to get married in my 20s and be healthy and be a mom. But I'm not really able to (laughs) to walk and single. But God always knew that I was going to be in this place. And I just really believe that he wasn't like, oh, okay, well, by the time that Lauren turns like 29, I'm just going to let go of her whole life. It's going to go off the rails and I will stop working in her life. (laughs) That is definitely not what I believe God has planned or ever thought for my life, Mm -hmm. even though it felt like that at the time. 
So just this belief that where I am is actually where I'm supposed to be, even though that's really hard to sit with sometimes. It really helps me. Yeah. It's this idea that suffering is not good. Mm -hmm. That's ingrained in us. And it makes logical sense. Mm -hmm. Like suffering is not good. But so I'm laughing because there's times when I'm in the midst of a conversation and I'll feel a random nudge to look at the verse of the day on my phone. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at this one, I laughed in my head because it's very ironic. It's Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good mm-hmm. for those who are called according to his purpose. And it can seem like such an ironic verse. In fact, I don't know if that verse came up in the midst of the hardest parts of those three years. It's a thing that people like to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah. When somebody would give you that verse in the midst of it, how did you respond to it? And how do you respond now, which you've already touched on a bit and what you just said? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of well-meaning Christians in my life, including family members, really tried to encourage me by saying these sorts of verses, sharing these sorts of verses with me, or something you said, like Christian platitudes. Not that that verse is a platitude, there are different things, but a lot of it to me just felt like it was falling short of the answers that I needed or kind of like oversimplifying it. So when I would hear someone quote that verse to me, kind of like in the deep thick of all of this, I struggled with that because I think when people were saying it, their intention in saying it was to say, yes, you're like going through this tough time now, but like it's going to get better. But really, they don't know that my physical health is going to get better in this lifetime here on earth. Like it could be something that I keep struggling with for a really long time or maybe for like all of my earthly life. But can the Lord still use it for good? Yes. Can he still use it for like my good and for his glory? Yes. And will he heal me ultimately? Yes. So that's how I feel about it now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You started to refer to it as a Christian platitude. And you're like, well, not, it's not really a platitude. But what's funny is it simultaneously can be a platitude and be true. Like that verse is true. You and I know that that verse is true. But the reality is it can be used in such a way that it becomes a platitude. Mm -hmm. And I love how you touched on it. It really comes down to the intention of the person who's presenting it. Mm -hmm. What are they trying to accomplish by giving this verse? What are they hoping for in giving this verse? And I think if you share this verse with someone, it's going to come across in a different way because you are sharing it having experienced still in the midst of suffering. Mm -hmm. And so when you say it, You're not just trying to make things better or to make somebody happy. Mm -hmm. Your intention will actually be to help them shift their perspective of what good even is. Because here's the thing, that verse applied to the person that started your story, the coworker who got a random illness, was healthy, and then was gone. Yeah. And that verse still applied to them. Mm -hmm. She was a believer. Yes. And her story didn't lead to our definition of good. Right. And so I think you're right. Like, There is this understanding shift that has to happen, but it seems like it's not something we can just force because you were trying to seek God at the start of this three years. You had a body of people that you were alongside seeking God together. Yeah. And so why is it you think that sometimes it takes these hard journeys for us to actually get that perspective shift? I mean, I think that the way that I grew up in the church I don't know if this was like what I was taught or just like my impression of things, but I just had this belief that God would protect me because people always encourage you to pray about bad things that might happen. Or if you're worried, like pray about things. 
So I just really thought bad things happen, but they won't happen to me because I'm following God and I'll just ask him to protect me and he'll protect me or I'll ask him to help me and he'll help me. What I didn't understand then is that yes, God does help you, but he doesn't always help you the way that you think he should help you Mm -hmm. or the way you might want him to help you. Yeah, I think that's a way that my perspective on this has shifted as I've gotten older. I think it would be very hard for you to be able to understand that the Lord is still good and can work good through suffering unless you live through suffering and watch him work good through it. Mm -hmm. And the longer you are suffering, the more opportunity you have to see God work. Yeah. There's another question that was sitting in my mind early on from when you were sharing. And you mentioned that you had this moment where you started to question, I mean, does God even exist? And if he exists, is he even good? Which can be a hard step for us to take because that seems like forbidden. Yeah. (laughs) It can feel forbidden in our minds. And you said that was short-lived because you just had this sense that God was with you. And then you repeated that later. Mm -hmm. I know that God is with me. And someone could hear that and say, what does that that even mean? Mm -hmm. How do you know that God's with you? So what does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky question because I feel that people experience the Lord in different ways. But for me, I guess I just really made an effort to talk to God about the things that were grieving my heart at that time. Mm -hmm. And I always felt some glimmer of hope or like something in the scripture would help me that day or God would like put a friend in my path that day who would like speak an encouraging word to me. And it was this thing where like, I kept going to God when I was just like at the very end of my rope, like I am like about to lose it. Like I just feel so devastated and sad and lost. Like, please, please help me. And when I got to that point, I always felt some sort of comfort. It wasn't like, so I struggled with depression after this breakup. It wasn't as if my depression was gone overnight or I was totally fine. But just for like that day or that, you know, I'd be praying about this in the morning and like maybe the rest of that day or part of that day, I would have this feeling of hope that things were not going to stay like this forever, that I wasn't going to keep, I guess, feeling so bad forever, whatever like the circumstances may bring. So I think there was just such a clear correlation to me from when I would pray to when I would have those glimmers of hope Mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, I know that God is like responding to what I'm saying, even though he's not responding by like totally giving me everything that I want or fixing my body or anything so tangible like that, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I felt that when I really desperately needed him, I always felt this comfort. Yeah. What I love about all this is, Again, coming back to that perspective piece, it makes me think of that passage where it talks about when I was a child, I thought like a child and I functioned like a child. But then when I was grown, I put away those childish ways. And so as you were sharing about how we'll seek God when we really want him to do something, or we really need him to do something. Sometimes it could be a legitimate need and we'll seek him. God looks at it. And while we're looking here and now, so the here and now you was, I really need to be in a relationship before I hit 30. And Mm -hmm. I really need to be able to, you know, walk. (laughs) And I really need, you know, that makes sense on a human here and now level where you have a lifespan and you don't want to waste a moment of it. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, God's looking at all this from an eternal perspective saying, I know that this hurts. I know this is hard. But if only you could see it from my perspective, you would see how small this is in light of everything mm-hmm. or how small these troubles are in light of the abundantly more that I have for you. 
And it made me think of the times that my kids have pleaded with me for something. In their minds, it was the most important thing in the world. My youngest, he just desperately needed a Band-Aid. <laughs> and when I asked him what for, it was for a freckle on his arm. Mm -hmm. And he needed me to stop everything I was doing to give him a Band-Aid, right? Mm -hmm. And what I knew is he didn't actually need a Band-Aid. But his mind, I couldn't tell him that. I did. I told him that. <laughs> you, you don't actually need a Band-Aid. But he couldn't accept that answer yeah. because he wasn't quite there yet. What's really interesting to me is you had this moment, the forbidden moment mm -hmm. of questioning the existence of God. But I think that that's actually an incredible, valuable thing because what you actually ended up doing was questioning the existence of the God that you had in your mind. Yeah. And the God you had in your mind was one who would never let anything bad happen to you. Or if something bad happened, he's like, oh, whoopsie, sorry, I'll he would fix it. Yeah. And you then had to discover that that God did not exist. Mm hmm but then suddenly you realize there was a God with you. Yeah. You turn in that short span of time and you realize there was a God with you, a different God who wasn't fixing everything. And yet somehow he still seemed loving. And John 13, 15, the first part of it says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Mm -hmm. That's a very different God. The first God is, though I'm in a hard situation, as long as he fixes it, I will yet hope in him. Mm -hmm. But though he slay me, I will yet hope in him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if he allows us to die in the fire, we will still follow him. Jesus in the garden, if this cup's not taken from me, I will still follow you. That's a very different God that you met. Yeah. And I just really feel like no one told me, <laughs> no one told me about this, like in church growing up. I appreciate that people told me that God loves me and that he will help me if I need help. But no one ever told me that sometimes you'll go through suffering and it will not get better, but God is like still there and can help you in a different way. But I guess it's like hard. You can't, I don't know. It's hard to teach that to a kid. It's hard to learn that without experiencing it, I suppose. But I do think it's something that Christians should probably be talking about more because I don't think I'm the only one who kind of had that idea of God as just the one to always help the way that you want him to help you. Yeah. Well, and that was going to be a question I was going to ask is, if nobody told you that, like, why is it that we don't talk about this? Because I think you're right. I think there are a lot of, I know there are a lot of people who don't know about this, mm -hmm. that don't realize this. So why else do you think we don't talk about this part, this spiritual journey of sitting in suffering? I think that one reason we don't talk about it is because there is an element of this that we can't really understand. I think that like we can look to scripture and kind of see some things like Job or like the story of Lazarus where Jesus doesn't heal him and he dies and his relatives are like, where were you, Jesus? We were just like waiting. And if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But then like later we find out that he goes and like resurrects him. Or just like the story of Jesus in general, like when he is killed and crucified and the disciples are hanging around for a few days thinking, we don't know what has happened. And then Jesus is resurrected. I feel like we have those stories to help us, but we don't talk about even those things enough about the in-between time. We talk so much about the resurrection of Lazarus, the resurrection of Jesus, but we don't talk a lot about the days in between, yeah. the death in between, the waiting in between. And I think it's because it's easier to look back on those scriptural truths when we know how it ended. But when we're the one in the death part in the couple of days of waiting and you don't know that it's a couple of days of waiting, it, it feels like it could be forever and that you're just in death. 
it's very scary. And I think that it's hard for us to understand why God puts us in those situations sometimes and why he does seem to intervene more quickly for some people in other times. And we love the stories of people who are sick in the hospital and they're like on their deathbed and miraculously the Lord heals them. We love those stories, but we don't like the stories of the person who does pass away, even though everybody's praying for them or long suffering, chronic illness, mental health, things that really keep going on and on that dark period in between when something really hard is happening and when you ever get to see if, how, when the Lord is going to use that for good or fix it. So I think people don't like to talk about it because one, it's scary. And two, we can't fully understand it because we're in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a control piece. And I mean, basically what you're saying is we're willing to step into something as long as we know that it's going to work out. Yeah. And have you seen uh, Avengers Infinity War? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So spoiler alert for anyone, (laughs) fast forward a minute. But what's so intriguing about Infinity War is it does something that most movies can't get away with doing, which is it ends on a horrible, horrible note, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Thanos seems to be victorious. And the final shot is of him victorious looking into the sunset. And then the credits start rolling dark and somber. And somebody I know didn't know that that was part one of two. Oh, man. And they saw that and they're like, this is horrible. <laughs> There's nothing redeemable about this. And then when they found out that there was a part two, they didn't even really want to do it because like there's this baked in idea of how wrong it was that it could look so dark and dismal. Yeah. How could it get any better from this point? I think we're like that in life. And especially when it's a situation like you described, it's like, okay, it's been a year, but then the surgery didn't work. Okay, finally, this relationship, at least this good thing is that and then it's crashed and you can get to a point where it's like. Like you said, how can this get any better? It's it's gotten so dismal and there's so much that's broken now and there's so much that's been ruined and so much time that's been lost. I'm in my 30s now, so I've lost my 20, right? Like all these thoughts can lead us to not even want to watch the next movie. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to really two things. Like one, you mentioned earlier, you came to a point where you believed in God, but the next stage was, but do I trust him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the second piece is, what we said earlier, how we define good. Mm -hmm. Because good for many people who watch a movie is, sure, you can have whatever you need to have in the middle of it as long as the ending is happy, as long as everything is wrapped up. And if there's a cliffhanger, if a character dies that we didn't want to die, like, ah, that's not good to us. Mm -hmm. If our life doesn't go as we hoped in the timing that we wanted, like we're flexible with some things, but there are certain lines if they're crossed. Mm-hmm. Well, that now is not good anymore. Yeah. Something you said, I really appreciated because it was really relevant for this past week of mine. And you were talking about the in-between space. And mm-hmm. Both you and I know, uh, Sharika and Megan, they talked a lot about the in-between. I actually got to talk with them once and they have a podcast. And mm-hmm. that's one thing they do is they say, we need to sit in that in-between space between the crucifixion and the resurrection. That yeah. Saturday when you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I do a community Bible study and one of my neighbors came, he came on Ash Wednesday and he walks in and he's like, what in the world is Ash Wednesday and why do we celebrate it? Why are we doing something with Ash? Is that supposed to represent Jesus dying? Why are we focusing on his death? 
when Jesus raised from, I don't understand mm. why we are focusing on the negative pieces of this. What we ended up talking about is the value of sitting in that space. Because I told him, I was like, well, Ash Wednesday isn't one and done by itself. It's a part of this collective season of Lent that ends with the thing that you were right about celebrating Easter. Yeah. But without Lent, without Ash Wednesday, without sitting in the hard part, we cannot fully grasp or appreciate what Easter represents. Without the laments, like there is no celebration because it's just like, oh yeah, Jesus is alive. Great. Awesome. But for the disciples who saw like the person they were counting on for everything, humiliated, embarrassed, beaten, and killed, his resurrection was something wholly different. Now, somebody could hear that and say, what does that mean that God's putting us in bad situations just to teach us a lesson? That's not what we're saying because he doesn't necessarily want to cause us harm. But what he knows is that by giving us free will, we are constantly choosing to hold to our own definitions of good, Mm -hmm. our own desire for control, our own perspectives. And in all his efforts to give us his word, to be with us in moments, to speak through people, to do all these things, we still have moments where like, okay, cool, God, but you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Or I don't know if I like what you're doing, or I don't know if you exist because this is how life's supposed to go, God. Like, yeah. I'm holding it up to you and showing you. You know, as you think of people who are currently in spaces of suffering that aren't yet at that place of revelation that they're like, oh my gosh, like I suddenly see God differently. How would you encourage them in the moment where they don't know if God exists? They don't know if they could trust him. I feel like for anyone who is doubting whether God exists, this seems like counterintuitive advice, but my advice is to try praying because I feel like he responds he responds, and try lamenting. Maybe not even necessarily like asking for him to change the circumstance, but just letting him know how you feel. I think that can be really helpful. I also think just read the Psalms <laughs> because that is like medicine for a suffering person's soul. The Psalms are part of the Bible that like really show that range of emotion of like feeling like you're in total darkness and like, where is God? He's not listening to me. He's not fixing me. He's not helping me. But then also like, it does show that like, it feels like that, but God actually is here and he actually does care about me. And he actually is working these things to be better. It was kind of like reading the Psalms of Lament to me felt like having a friend who got me, you know, like there's, I think Psalm 22, that's the one that's like, oh Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Which is also like what Jesus says on the cross. But also I think in that one, there's also just things like I can count all my bones. I feel like there's just things like really graphic almost about like how deep the suffering is. And when you feel that way, seeing someone else who is appealing to God with those feelings, it makes you kind of feel like you're not alone. And also you can appeal to God with those feelings and perhaps he will respond. And I have found that he has. Yeah. I think that's incredibly valuable and legitimate because as you're describing that and you said, you know, somebody gets me (laughs) like that kind of a sentiment, it made me think of the times where I was in my hardest moments where I'd have plenty of people that meant well that were giving platitudes or plenty of people not saying anything at all or not recognize all this wide variety of people. But then occasionally I would sit on the porch with someone who had been through a similar situation. I didn't even have to describe everything. It's just clear that they got it. And I remember feeling joy in those moments, mm-hmm. right? And it's so counterintuitive because they didn't fix anything. And in fact, logically, it would seem that it should compound the sorrow because I had my sorrowful thing. 
and they share their sorrowful thing, especially if we're both still in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. So it should be double sorrow and we should be weeping on the porch. Instead, by us both sharing in that same space of suffering, it suddenly brought a joy, which makes me wonder then if this is one of the reasons why scripture is so emphatic about loving others, about functioning as a body, about unity, because Perhaps this is one of the cheat codes that's built into how we're created is that by coming alongside each other and authentically loving and being in unity and seeking to understand, we could actually find joy where joy shouldn't exist or peace where it defies understanding. So you mentioned that prior to the three years and during the three years, you had a community of people that were in the midst of this with you. So on this end of it, where you're still in the midst of some things. I mean, I saw you today and you still had the boot on your foot, right? Yeah. Like you're still navigating. Yeah, these to things. be honest, I'm in a lot of pain like today, yeah. which I think is an interesting time to be having this conversation. <laughs> right. And so tell me about that community piece now on this space of it, where you believe God is with you and loves you. You are still in pain. How are you seeing community playing into this? Yeah. I have just felt so supported by my church, our church, and also just friends from college ministry that I was involved in because I have a core group of people who I feel like I can text on bad days and ask for prayer and not feel like they are tired of me having texted that to them like a million times over the past three years. And I know that they will pray. I guess I've changed my expectations about like what I think will happen when people pray for me. So of course, I'm always asking people to pray for healing because that is what I would love yeah. most it would be yeah. just to be healed, not to be in pain anymore. But I've also just started asking people to pray for like me to not be discouraged and for like the Lord to like work something good through this period of time in my life. And I feel like whenever I have asked for those things, I get them. <laughs> like, like I, I feel like I ask for prayer for like my spiritual buoying is something that I've said before. Mm -hmm. And I have felt like even though I'm still in pain, like nothing changed circumstantially, I find myself having a renewed sense of hope and not even hope about necessarily like that I will get better and be able to walk without pain. But like hope that this is not meaningless, that the Lord can still use it. And that I'm, even though it's like disappointing and it makes you sad to have setbacks or to be experiencing suffering, that my whole life isn't going to be feeling like I feel on a bad pain day. So I think that having people who can walk with you in prayer is super important and something that I want to be able to do for other people. I think that praying with people more regularly is something I think that we should be doing <laughs> more in the church at large because I don't know, I think we have these formulas or of like certain times we pray, like we'll pray at like the end of this small group or like we'll pray at these certain times in a church service. But not everyone is as comfortable with just like, oh, you're having a hard conversation and somebody's going through something and just being like, oh, why don't we pray right now? Like on this porch or like in your living room or something. But I have made friends who are like open to doing that. And I feel like that is very helpful for me and also for the people that I pray with. Yeah. So I got two questions in my mind. And the first one is this. We've touched on this in a lot of ways, but I think it's worth pressing into just once more. We talked about what you would say to someone in the midst of suffering, but what would you say to the well-meaning person who has someone in their life who is struggling, who is suffering through something? What would you say to that well-meaning person on how to engage the person who is in the hard space? 
I think that you should probably do a lot more listening than you do talking. I think you should ask the person what they need and try to give them what they say that they need instead of maybe just assuming you know what they need, especially if what you think they need is advice. Mm -hmm. I think it can be really helpful to share your life stories, but be cautious about saying that like whatever you experienced is the exact same and you like totally understand what they're going through Mm -hmm. because it might not be the same and it might actually end up making them feel more isolated. So like at the end of the day, just listen to them and ask them what they need and offer to pray for them or with them. Maybe if you know someone who has been through something very similar to what they're going through, refer them to that person if you don't know about it. Because I've been able to be connected with like some other people who've dealt with specifically chronic pain. And I've read some really great books and some really great devotionals that are specifically about that. And it speaks to me more than someone who's coming from like a more suffering in general kind of a place that can be helpful. But the person who has been through like mobility problems speaks to me even more because they really do have like a lot closer experience to what I'm going through. That's really good. And then the other question I had was you're talking about how you understand prayer differently now and that you still pray for healing, but you also aren't putting everything on that. And you started this story saying that you had an idea of your future, which was going to be mobility and continue to do active things and to be married before 30 or be in a relationship at least before 30. Yeah. Where you are now, knowing what you know, still experiencing pain even at this moment, What is your outlook for what's ahead now compared to how it used to look? I think that something that the Lord is freeing me from is freedom for my own expectations of myself. So I don't know what the next 10 years of my life are going to look like. I'm kind of working on striking a balance of just being like, okay, God, it's like all in your hands. But also seeking like small specific things that like make life good, in like the immediate present, not worrying so much about what's going to happen five years from now, 10 years from now, and thinking more like, okay, I feel lonely sometimes. What can I do about that? The Lord has given me this like church community and these friends. I have family. I think I want to spend more time visiting them, kind of living in the moment more, I guess, and trying to like make the most of it. I also feel that the particularities of the things that I'm going through and the people that I know right now are a special gift that are only here for this time. So I will not be exactly the same person that I am or feel exactly the same way that I do in the future that I do right now. And I might not be in contact with like the exact same group of people. So I don't want to waste any of that. Like I want to use that to love on other people and to encourage other people and to do whatever God wants me to do in this mm-hmm. in this season. I do still have hopes and dreams for my future that I pray about, but I think that I'm more open to wherever God wants to take me because I've made it this far and it didn't look anything like what I thought. And yet I still really believe that God is good and loves me and is working good things in my life. So it allows me to pray about my dreams for the future, but also know that even if they don't turn out the way that I am expecting, that God will still be good and will still love me and will still have good things for my life in that nebulous future that I don't know about yet. Yeah, that's really good. There's so much more we could talk about. (laughs) But one thing I like to close out with is, before we go, is there anything else in your heart that you wanted to share? Yeah, I feel like the last thing I really want to share is just for anybody who is in a period of time, like something that you said about when you're in that dark period of like, Jesus is dead, Lazarus is dead, you're waiting, you just feel like you're in this period of death and you don't know that it's going to end. And so sometimes you can get to a place where you feel like, I don't want to live to see another day. Like, I don't want to see what comes next because it seems to be like sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. 
hang in there, hang in there basically, because that is a really, really tough space to be in. It is a space that I have been in. And from one person who has been there, kind of like on another side of it, there is another side of it. So if anyone might feel that they were stuck in that dark period and that it was never going to end, I really believe that it will end. And so I just encourage people to reach out for help and also like counseling and mental health resources are available if you ever find yourself in that place. Matthew 16 says this, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you've been following along in the podcast, you'll remember that Don Coleman said that this was a vital verse for the church. Who do we say that God is? And among all the powerful things that came out of this conversation with Lauren, that's one piece that really stood out to me. There can be such a stigma around questioning God, but the reality is, is we often have false understandings of God. Even the disciples wrestled with this. Peter, the very one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is also the same one who only eight verses later pulled Jesus aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. See, while the spirit had given Peter wisdom to see things about Jesus that he couldn't have discovered on his own, his own humanity still had ideas of who Jesus was still had ideas of what Jesus could or couldn't, should or shouldn't do. And that understanding shaped how he interacted with Jesus. As Lauren shared, many of us have an understanding of who God is, what he can and can't do, and what he should and shouldn't do. And we believe that he shouldn't let us suffer, that a good and powerful God couldn't let us suffer. So when we do find ourselves sitting in suffering, our human understanding of God can deepen the struggle. What if one of the invitations in the midst of suffering is to question the God of our mind so that we can come to know the authentic God of creation? What if suffering gives us the opportunity to break down our assumptions, break down our own desires, and open ourselves to God's reality and His desires? You can hear it in Lauren's voice. Suffering is hard. Suffering can seem unfair. And yet you can also hear in her voice a resolve to still trust God to still walk towards him, even if things are still far from where she would want them to be. And she's able to do so because these last three years have allowed her to release a false understanding of who God is and begin to embrace a true understanding of who God is. Because scripture makes it clear that God is God and God is good. So one of the invitations in the midst of suffering is to come to know God in a new and full and accurate way. So if you're in that space, One question you can ask God in the midst is, God, here I am, who are you? And then listen, because God doesn't want to hide himself. He wants to be known. 
We just need to be ready to meet him. And as you do, you can ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, where you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?